Monkey to Let Go, the podcast platform of the Phenomenalist, by Leopold Lambert. Today, law and subjectivity, a conceptual approach to disobedience, with Elena Wazidou. Hello everyone, today my guest is uh, Elena Loisidou, who is a reader in law and political theory at Birbeck College at the University of Central London, uh, uh, where we are recording this conversation, and today we're going to speak about the concept of the legal and philosophical concept of disobedience. Uh, hello, Elena. Hello. Uh, nice to meet you, Leopold. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to take the time to to uh, speak about this book that you edited uh, in 2013 uh, about, about disobedience, and uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but in the, m in the meantime, do you, would you mind telling us a little bit what your current work is, uh, is about? Yeah, sure. Um, my current work is uh, related, actually, to this concept of disobedience. It, it actually was... It was my current work, which is going on for the last six, seven years, that prompted this uh, volume on disobedience. So I'm working on anarchism, but uh, 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 as an art of living. So I'm looking at, I've been looking at archival materials from the late 19th, early 20th century of a group of anarchists that were based in the U.S. Um, uh, this group has its sort of leader, uh, even if we if we can use that word, um, uh, as Emma Goldman, and uh, they they started kind of doing a lot of anti-war activities, uh, anti-police activities in the U.S. and, and lots of other sort of um, uh, actions, uh, but mainly their main kind of work was to propagate anarchism. Uh, going around, uh, Emma Goldman was a very great speaker, a woman that came from Lithuania, I think, didn't speak, um, didn't speak English, le learns English, gets politicized, and uh, becomes one of the most dangerous women in, in the U.S. because of her propagating anarchism and, and her actions. So I'm kind of, I was interested in this group, but she's very well known, uh, I, I guess, in the Anglo-American world. And so I was interested in, in her and how their anarchism, the propagation of their anarchism, what, what they believe to be anarchism is. Uh, but I realized that, um, I realized that uh, actually for them, anarchism was not just a political project. It was an art of living, which um, uh, had... Uh, with it or accompanied with it um, some sort of distinct characteristics for example kind of truthful speaking that we find through uh, Foucault kind of reminded us of kind of Parisi or truthful truth speaking um, is one of the characteristics of the speech making um, the other that I find kind of being very dominant is a sense of humor um, Emma Goldman has a, an amazing witty sense of humor so um Um, uh, so that, that, that's kind of my kind of big project that I'm working on. Hopefully, hopefully I'll, it will kind of uh, become a book uh, soon, within the next 12 months. But I'm also kind of working on little other kind of projects like on suicides during uh, austerity, trying to kind of understand uh, suicides as, uh, or try to 
think of suicides as a political political acts, even if they're private, you know, people kind of commit suicides because they might be in debt and they might leave some letters behind that are not political letters, just kind of explaining their desperation. Uh, some make more political statements and because in Greece and uh, I think all over in Greece, Spain and Italy and Portugal maybe but I'm pretty sure like Greece, Italy and uh, and, and Spain have seen kind of an, uh, a rise in, in suicide. I, it prompted me to think, what, how can we think of the dead, I guess, as uh, political actors, which is a bit of an oxymoron because they're dead, but, uh, um, you know, they have died. But I see them as kind of citizens trying to tell us something about the state of, uh, of our world. And one of the things that I found a connection through is uh, this... Uh, is the connection between oh, their demand, I guess. Uh, it seems to me that they're demanding in th through their suicides a, um, a world where valorizes friendship in a very different way than, uh, than we are used to having today, and even political friendship. Um, uh, there seem to be, if you want, uh, desiring a f uh, some form of friendship that is not based necessar not based only on interests. And if we look at the political actors, the European Union, uh, etc., it seems that the politics that are being played are pure politics of interest, where human lives and relating disappears or uh, or appears in a particular neoliberal way. So this is kind of the other little project that I'm, I'm working on, and hopefully it will be completed soon mm. within the year. I see. Well, yeah. probably little in terms of uh, of format, but uh, yeah. huge in terms of implication. I, I and questions, yeah. And I can definitely relate to uh, that to the French situation as yeah. well, and the and the workers of the the the, the tire company Continental, who okay. that had like three as uh, um, uh, public suicide, so to speak, mm -hmm. like uh, in front of the factory as a as a political okay. actor. As a uh, protest as well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as a as a with all the desperation that uh, mm -hmm. that uh, it involves. But um, I wasn't uh, aware of that. I was aware more of the orange um, uh, people that used to work for Orange, I think. In yeah, that's true as that, well. Yeah. That was quite big. And, yeah, in, to, to yeah. the point that Orange uh, Orange uh, only response has been uh, so, like. Locking, locking the rooftops, yeah. or things yeah, like yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. ridiculous answers yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or we can think as well of yeah. the, the the Chinese nets. Uh, yeah, of the, course. Uh, for people not to uh, uh, jump from the from the roofs, it's it's, it's uh, very strange to to think of uh, this as some sort of uh, some sort of response to the desperation of those mm -hmm. acts that mm -hmm. they're supposed to to express mm. that they, they do express mm -hmm. um, so uh, I mean in the previous conversation I've been having for Archipelago we were talking with a concrete action in, uh, in well just like the name uh, entails a sort of very concrete example of, uh, of disobedience uh, here I think it will be very interesting with you to reflect on what this concept uh, really means and, and um, obviously all those conversations have their various degrees of conceptual um, uh, of conceptuality, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I, I can tell that this one will will be uh, quite conceptual indeed, and I think it's it's very important to to really uh, always go from one 
to the other, to, from the concrete to the concept and from the concept to the concrete. Um, so I, I'm very happy to have those two conversations that we can really dialogue with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe before we really uh, tackle uh, those conceptual questions, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about this book that you call Disobedience, Concept and Practice that uh, has a, a few friends of the Phenomenalist in it? I mean, I'm thinking of Gil- Gilbert, uh, Gilbert Long and uh, uh, Lucy Finchett Maddox that uh, also was part of the of Archipelago and in a mm-hmm. very similar topic about William Burroughs and the, the interzone mm-hmm. and the legal aspect of it. But can you maybe give us a, like an overview of, uh, of what yeah. you were trying to do and what, what, what the authors you invited uh, uh, are doing, were yeah. doing? Yeah, uh, as I say, I think in, in the introduction, it kind of struck me that uh, when I was looking at um, anarchists' uh, archives or anarchist uh, literature that that there is an ambivalent relationship uh, between anarchism and law right so some anarchists might kind of find law in painting kind of uh, in painting uh, building a, a, a meaningful life right Krotomkin uh, uh, and I think I use a quote here from Krotomkin uh, where he says kind of like law you know we have so many laws laws about clothes laws about eating laws about building roads etc and sometimes uh, you can see people standing there not knowing what to do while the easiest lo- way of doing what they want would be to remove the law uh, uh, and take um, take the law in their hands or, or kind of act in a way that it will be more meaningful. A tree has fallen down and now we have to wait for whichever authority has to come and remove it while we could remove it and uh, enable a flow of cars or carts or whatever he he's suggesting there. And others uh, seem to, um, like Proton for example, uh, even to some extent Emma Goldman, seem to believe it, it, they have a faith in not necessarily law but the outcome that could come from uh, uh, a fair, a fair um, operation of the law, which is justice. All right. Uh, so, so it was kind of this um, this ambivalence, I think, between obedience and disobedience uh, to the law, kind of attachment and detachment to law, that kind of make me think. Okay, let's think about. Let me ask a group of people that might not necessarily think that their work talks about disobedience. Not all of them. Uh, and make them reflect uh, about this concept of uh, disobedience. And what I wanted also is to go beyond uh, beyond a legal explanation of what or how can we understand disobedience. Um, so uh, you can see we've got authors. Some most of most of the authors come from, and there were more people actually. In I organized a conference in May two thousand and ten, and. And as I say, also in the introduction, it's I think it's important because it, this uh, conference was organized before any uh, spring revolutions, any indignados movements, um, uh, uh, before Occupy. And uh, what I wanted to do is to get a group of people together and have a workshop and think about. Um, how we see disobedience emerging in our works. And uh, so some are political theorists, some are legal theorists. Um, some I had an artist which, who's not contributed uh, an essay here, uh, but she was giving a paper. Um, there was um, a filmmaker. Um, uh, there was... Uh, uh, 
a cultural theorists. So there were kind of a variety of groups of people, an anarchist himself, but an anarchist that left academia as well. These people didn't contribute in the collection, but they were part of the workshop where kind of a wider discussion of how we can understand uh, the concept of disobedience, not only within legal parameters, but also psychic uh, parameters. And you might, uh, for example... um, uh, Maria's Aristodemus and I think Margarita's Palacios essay seem to be talking kind of more directly in uh, how how obedience I think structures our uh, our lives uh, structures our psychic worlds and how difficult it is to say that we disobey. Um, uh, uh, actually, perhaps is Maria Aristodemus makes this kind of uh, very strong argument that. Um, even if we take away what we understand by law, um, formal law, institutions of law, there will always be another kind of little law commanding us to act in a particular way. So uh, disobedience kind of necessitates, uh, necessitates that we have something to uh, a law or a boundary to kind of uh, rebel against. Um, uh, but my kind of general idea was that yes and no, we might have boundaries, we might have uh, something to diso- to work against. But I, 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 in in my experience uh, of reading around sort of uh, anarchism, what I find is uh, if there is disobedience, is disobedience uh, that demonstrates that. Uh, uh, that doesn't necessarily demonstrate a recognition of authority, but rather um, a recognition of we don't want to do things in the way you are doing it. So it, it's um, it's uh, a rebellion against habitual practices, I think, uh, and habitual ways of doing, which are not laws, I think, and we could distinguish between the, something that is a habit is not necessarily a law because, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, since I mean, uh, many of the listeners and myself included are are not necessarily uh, uh, did did not uh, study legal theory. Mm. Let's say uh, it may be it may be almost uh, the the sort of uh, first class one might have about 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 legal theory. I mean, you'll tell me, but uh, it's it's important to understand uh, the law uh, and. Well, disobedience not as heresy, meaning the law mm. not being some sort of uh, divine uh, uh, s- s- scriptures that that uh, uh, are absolutely mm-hmm. Im- immovable, but actually the sort of crystallization of politics at mm-hmm. some point, and therefore disobedience be- being itself a, a, a sort of a political answers to to it. So, um, uh, the w- would you agree that like disobedience is almost Telling us more about that against that against it, it stands rather than itself, because of because of the it, it reveals a sort of uh, political aspect of lo- the law. Uh, it, it well, it, it, yeah, I, I would say that it, it it could it could reveal not and then as I said not unless we say everything is law, which I don't think it is. I think uh, there's things that are habits and there are things that are commands and there are things that are um, laws. And, and I think 
and their religious laws and their kind of secular laws or whatever, so, and their uh, norms as well, okay? So I don't think everything is necessarily the same. But if we, uh, if I understand your question, uh, disobedience might tell us something indeed about uh, the state of uh, the state of how things are and and how um, how such yeah. So it's in, in its reactive kind of form, it tells us what is reacting against uh, whether it's reacting against one of the papers that is not published. For example, it was reacting in. Uh, it was using a various sort of um, uh, literary texts, and uh, it, it was demonstrating how um, uh, various forms of disobedience are kind of gender disobedience, for example. Okay, um, so it could be acts uh, that are you are rebelling against certain normative understandings of what it means to be a woman or a man or a racialized, racialized subject so it could be a variety of, of things that do not have a big law uh, kind of uh, organizing them but they're very uh, effective in uh, organizing society and making a lot of people unhappy and uh, miserable and indignant at the same time in terms of the law, yeah, I guess um, law in terms of uh, in institutional law, which I, uh, you know, uh, I would say, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, what you see, I think I, t I think I talk in my paper about Rosa Parks, mm -hmm. in, in uh, for example, and and I talk about her uh, refusing to um, move from her seat and that kind of. Re, re, um, and that kind of refusal is a refusal, as she says uh, herself. I think uh, a, a refusal because she wanted to test the law uh, and test how the law, how far unfair a thing was. What was the law, and uh, and that kind of act in itself kind of demonstrates that law is a very political tool um, and it's a tool that is organ it's it's used it's not neutral but it becomes more dangerous when it is used by certain sort of ideological groups uh, that claim that it is neutral uh, to uh, put people at their place whatever that place mm -hmm. is and not allow them to uh, grow as citizens and ethical in individuals in, in society but on the contrary Trust them and stop that kind of growth. Um, yeah. Well, and the, the example of Rosa Parks and uh, I mean, and many other occurrences mm -hmm. of the civil rights movements mm -hmm. are very useful to talk about um, two forms of disobedience. I mean, one one we would call civil disobedience, mm -hmm. which is um, well. I mean, if we start by the other one, like a form of selfish disobedience, mm -hmm. we might say in uh, in just uh, I. I need this thing so I'm going to disobey to the law the norm to actually serve myself with it mm -hmm. whatever it might be but and and uh, outside of any moralistic judgment but just in a legal judgment of it and then the civil disobedience that is um, that is a disobedience that is only made to contest the very nature of this of this law that it disobeys so um, maybe a bit too easy to to sort of give a legitimacy to one rather than the other one and mm -hmm. there might be more complexity to it and uh, precisely your essay uh, uh, that starts with Anna Arendt uh, mm -hmm. 
uh, uh, article about uh, civil disobedience, and I, I really want to talk about that, uh, deals with it. But um, first, maybe if we do look at this dichotomy between disobediences, how can we complexify maybe this um, this sort of very uh, um, uh, very straight separation between between both? And maybe Lucy's article about naughtiness mm -hmm. uh, in William Burroughs' literature mm -hmm. might help us a bit, I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, I guess selfish disobedience. It's interesting that you're mentioning it. You kind of you draw this distinction between selfish and a political form of disobedience, which is something that Aren sort of uh, draws as well. She uh, calls them private acts in, in terms of selfish, and she uses um, Socrates as, as her example, for example. But uh, and political um, and more civil disobedience is of political nature that wants to change uh, in general the laws and it's about people that come together it's not about one actor it's about a group of people that come together uh, uh, and uh, and move a change forwards and William Barrows perhaps will be the example of uh, the selfish disobedience uh, the disobedience of an artist he's a, a writer um, but at the same time, I think both are uh, important forms of disobedience. The disobedient artist, which could be the most narcissistic and selfish sort of uh, disobedient subject, also ha has um, demonstrated uh, to us or shows us kind of um, uh, social social limits, for example, and it's not only about literary limits. They, they uh, writers and artists in general are very um, obsessed with kind of breaking the mold or breaking the uh, uh, yeah breaking the mold or uh, to to reveal to us something very different uh, about uh, the social ter terrain or the economic terrain or the political terrain, without necessarily saying that they are political. But I would I would. I would say that uh, that breaking the mold in itself is a political act because without that breaking, we wouldn't be able to see uh, differently. So for me, uh, the selfish artist um, it, uh, also contributes in with their own disobedience um, to the world uh, tremendously and politically and not only aesthetically, politically and perhaps ethically, even if we might somebody like Barrows is a controversial character, we know that he might have killed his wife, uh, there's all this kind of scandal uh, around him but I would say that he still has something through his writings as Lucy tells us uh, that um, we can learn from about uh, this naughtiness does something, it, it uh, shakes I think the kind of uh, everydayness and allows us to kind of reveal and see, see things very differently. Aran doesn't like those characters. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. she's kind of very much uh, against them. They're too selfish. They're not political. But I think, as I, as I argue, is because she understands politics in a particular way. She can, she understands politics as really the coming together of various subjects, discussing and doing things in concert. And it's in the co in concert that it's very important for her, uh, Barrows writes on his own, although he's part of a, a larger aesthetic group, but he writes on his own. Um, um, well, if we, if we talk about yeah. Arendt precisely, yeah. uh, I think it's very interesting because uh, um, from what I understand, I, I haven't read the article, I have to admit, but mm -hmm. uh, through, through your text, 
uh, for, from what I understand, is uh, objectors of conscience of conscience are uh, truly apolitical for an inherent, mm -hmm. and uh, and and it's it seems a little bit strange at first, and I, I'd like to talk more about that. But um, she says that um, if you if you act in your conscience, you're still within the domain mm -hmm. of of, of selfishness, yeah. and uh, and um, and uh, we we can. I think I think it's interesting as well to we, we can we can quote like uh, uh, um, we can talk about uh, someone like Rosa Parks or, or mm -hmm. uh, uh, have many examples and and study their complexity. But we should not forget as well. So, for example, to give a recent examples of this this woman in the U.S. who doesn't want to issue uh, uh, same-sex marriage licenses. Okay. As uh, uh, and all in a sudden we're like, oh yeah, but I mean, no, we disagree with that. But I mean, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. beyond our own mm -hmm. political ethos yeah, yeah, yeah. and manifestos, uh, we need to recognize that this gesture, conceptually, diagrammatically, is the same than uh, someone who refused to go to war, or, or mm -hmm. Thor mm -hmm. uh, David Henry, uh, David Henry Thoreau, who doesn't, mm -hmm. who refuses to pay, pay taxes, taxes because of the Mexican-American uh, war that he disagreed with. But uh, but uh, I I have I've there's something about objective of conscience that might not been taken into account by Arendt I feel which is the active non non doing mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. things and and here I think uh, very specifically of the of the few Israeli youth that refuse to go to the military service mm -hmm. and which is for me still the 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 really the most um, uh, active things that uh, yeah. Israeli young people yeah. can do yeah, uh, yeah. to go against the politics of their country, and and uh, and it is a very very much active non doing, mm -hmm. which sometimes yeah. is, is is an interesting paradox. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think I think I think um, I think. My understanding of Arena might, might be wrong, and, and as, a, as a lot of commentators say, that there is no one around, and sometimes she contradicts herself as well. Um, uh, my understanding is that what differentiates civil disobedience from uh, from the conscientious objector is that it's is, is that. The uh, uh, the saying no of the conscientious objector, and I, I personally don't understand. I'm I'm in line with you. Uh, for her, is a private act. It's not necessarily uh, a public act, although it's done in public. Um, it's also about your own conscience or, or pacifying your own conscience, but um, and not going to war. So it's not about a group of people doing doing that. Um, but I think it's, a, it's to, to be able to say no to something that is commanded for you to do as a citizen of any state um, and risk yourself or risk your life, it's hugely political. Mm. Uh, uh, so I, 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 would, I would disagree, if you want, with Canovarens in interpretation. Now, the judge that is not giving a license... Uh, is also, um, it's also they, they are also engaging in this kind of very selfish uh, act, uh, and now um, in uh, politically because they are trying to impose their political position on, on other people. I think the difference between the conscientious objector is that they're not imposing their position on other people. It's themselves that want to impose. Um, uh, they want that imposition 
to be for them, not for necessarily everybody else. They're not commanding everybody else to be a conscientious objector. They're just doing it for themselves. And I think there's a uh, while the judge is um, abusing, if you want, their political position. They're not even disobeying. They're abusing political position by implementing their own position on other people. So I think for me that won't be. A disobedience, uh, selfish or otherwise, it would be kind of an abuse of position of power. Um, I was thinking, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned it. I was reading an article in the New Yorker today, which I wished, oh, last night, I wished I remembered the author, but it was an article that was trying to analyse um, the massive school killings, uh, um, the plethora of school uh, gun killings. Uh, at schools in the U.S. and uh, they're citing an, uh, a sociologist from the 50s, I think, who makes and anal- uh, analyzes rioters. And his analysis of rioters is that no one rioter is the same, although they might kind of be in a group. Everybody might be there for a different reason. And they they seem to be suggesting this article that uh, this allegedly copycat uh, school killings that have been happening from Columbine and a little bit before till now uh, appear to us copycats but they're not necessarily copycats, they're like riots, they're all kind of doing it and they all all these killers are siding each other uh, uh, but um, at the same time their reasons for doing it are different and most interesting thing that they make they do to the article most interesting thing that he makes says to us is actually do not try and think that any of these characters are psychotic they're actually uh, very reasonable they might have a spectrum of autism that might not enable them to empathize with um, with uh, other people but they're not mad and that makes that clear why am I saying that? I was trying to think whether this uh, uh, suicide, uh, they're suicide killers. Uh, 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 are disobedient subjects, all right? They're, they're kind of, uh, and and I guess if, and one of them was kind of, uh, a, I don't think it's the Columbine group. Is somebody before that? They kind of claimed that this was a revolutionary act that they were doing. They were trying to. Uh, uh, I think are they are they disobedient subjects and and I thought well no they are also all obeying a certain uh, a certain um, a certain group uh, even if they're kind of different they're obeying a certain kind of group idea um, so I'm not sure to what extent they are disobedient subjects although from their acts, we can see not dissimilarly what other pro- what other social problems in in the U.S. Uh, at the moment, kind of things like alienation or not enough uh, care uh, that could sort of track some of uh, the issues, personal issues that some of these young people might have. So yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's disobedience. I was trying to think very hard. Is it disobedience? And I thought, thought no, it's not necessary. There might be political in a small p uh, because they reveal to us what's not working in our social world world, but they're not political in a p, big p and they're not disobedient hands yeah. mm-hmm. I would say they're criminal acts and I will kind of stick to that um, 
Yeah, uh, well, I apologize for going back to the to this public servant who yeah. refused to issue uh, uh, same-sex uh, marriage licenses. Yeah. And, and I, uh, um, um, I mean, I, I'm wondering if if we're not gi- giving those people a, an easy way out by saying, I mean, not gi- giving them an easy way out, but giving the concept of disobedience an easy an way easy out. treatment. By, by saying that those are not disobedient, even though after that we can also look at very simply at uh, what it means to be a minority, what it means uh, to mm. be a, a mm. majority, and obviously doing things in the name of a majority, doing things in the name of a minority. But I'm, I'm, I, th- I think that not recognizing their act as a disobedience is also not really... Um, uh, giving any credit to the law itself because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, same-sex marriage is like oh, there's many interesting debates uh, mm-hmm. within the queer community to wonder whether it's a good thing as uh, this sort of enter mm-hmm. uh, uh, this enter into the norm and all those things. But I mean, the the, the, the law itself is definitely mm-hmm. the result of a long um, political struggle mm-hmm. and and uh, the the law being uh, uh, turned uh, at a national level by the Supreme Court. Uh, is uh, is certainly a political victory as well, and so it's a crystallization of politics that we uh, that when we consider it as victory, we 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 can see how obviously it makes it makes some mm. people that are are sort of political opponents uh, highly unhappy, and they they still manage to do things against it. Mm-hmm. So I guess my point is that I. I think we should we should we should maybe acknowledge disobedience as uh, uh, a concept that that can go that is so political that it, it doesn't doesn't necessarily fit our own. Uh, sure, sure, sure. But um, I mean, I, I'm wondering. I, I don't know much about this uh, woman that refuses to to give um, uh, marriage, what licenses I guess to uh, gay gay people. But um, if you could tell me a little bit more about her, uh, maybe I could kind of uh, see. Uh, I will insist that this, she's abusing her power mm-hmm. rather than kind of disobeying. Uh, um, maybe, because maybe she's what? already in a position of power, and she's in a position of power to uh, give uh, give out these licenses. Her refusal to give these licenses, even if she's... Uh, commanded by law is not a disobedience thing but rather a, if you want a contempt of law or uh, or an abuse of law in itself uh, and I think that's that's kind of a little mm-hmm. difference I, I suppose I was also reacting to the fact that uh, we were saying that uh, objectors of conscience might be uh, also acting in a very private manner and, yeah, and Aaron sure. says that in particular in the fact that we are not thinking of what their absence entailed mm-hmm. on, on, sure. on a battlefield, right. on uh, at a Israeli sure. checkpoint in the West Bank, sure. at, uh, uh, or the the sure. sort of thousand dollars of uh, David Thoreau uh, mm-hmm. uh, for the war. It's it's very very tiny each mm-hmm. time because we're talking about very individual things. Yeah, but sure. at the end sure. of the day, it does. It, there is an economy of 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 mm. people and money that. D- do not function because of those disobedience. So that's what that's why sure. I think that makes them truly political. Those form of disobedience. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It it they do um, they do if you want uh, scramble the system 
or kind of put a, um, a, a stop to some to something that is taken for granted. You have to you you're born a Cypriot uh, young man. You have to do the army if you kind of uh, are uh, uh, disobeying uh, consci- because of consciousness. Then you are subtracting yourself from being uh, being in the army. So it is political, uh, and I think that's. I think that's what Arendt doesn't appreciate because, and I think this comes, and I do insist, comes from her understanding of how she sees politics, which is this kind of people coming together in concert, debating, acting, and changing things. And in demonstrations or other civil, this, and you have to do it in public, I guess, uh, you, you, you see people, they do come, they argue, and they work, work together towards kind of making action, etc., but that's not only politics. There are other kind of small acts that could be political. Um, uh, the conscientious put of objector as well. Um, yeah, some people like a Gandhian will say Bartleby is very mm. uh, political by saying I prefer not to, which is what the um, uh, conscientious ob- objector is doing at mm. the same time. Yeah. Well, and s- s- still with thorough uh, Lucy actually quotes him in her essay and she mm-hmm. says uh, I mean he writes uh, let let your body be a counter friction to stop the machine which mm-hmm. I, I feel is I like the, the sort of yeah. cor- corporeal yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely I mean the other thing that is important I think and I wanted to uh, I, I, I wanted to bring uh, to the attention through the Iran piece but uh, I think other uh, I think the uh, the quote from uh, that you quoting from Lucy uh sort of raises that um, is that actually disobedience doesn't have to be conscious also mm. um, and I'm thinking of uh, and nobody actually talked about this in, in the book or at the symposium because everybody was kind of more politically uh, engaged but I was thinking of hysteric bodies uh, from the 19th century uh, the kind of move, uh, movements of hands and and, uh, and those photographs that we might might have uh, from that period show the body kind of disobeying to a, to an order of uh, normalization. Um, so it doesn't have to be conscious in the sense that you could articulate it in language, but it could be articulated bodily as well. Um, and the body does kind of a lot of work. Um, so that's that goes beyond uh, any legal jurisdiction. It's not. It's not. You, yeah. It's not. Uh, it's, an, it's my understanding of disobedience that is not located only in specific laws and what we do against them, but it could be kind of more. So the body is does something consciously or unconsciously sometimes and tells us a story about uh, the 19th century as it was with the hysterics, etc. Yeah. Well, and that that might be a. An inaccurate uh, intuition, but I, I feel it brings us back to your research about uh, suicides as well, right? Mm. I mean, mm. uh, I mean the very fact that uh, the very fact that uh, for many many years uh, the church was not accepting to uh, to bury mm. and to give a sort of a proper yeah. religious funeral to people who would commit suicide mm. uh, is very evocative of of how somehow. Uh, it's an act of uh, it's an act of uh, of repossession of your body, mm-hmm. and that that many institutions do do not accept and 
almost think of it as like the ultimate uh, disobedience, I suppose. No, I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, if 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 uh, our lives, are according to I guess Christian dogma, generally not specifically because there are variations, which uh, if our lives are a gift from God, then only God can take them away. So it would be the ultimate disobedient act to actually take your life uh, you're kind of blasphemous towards God and their authority and their organization of life um, uh, yeah mm. absolutely um, maybe to talk a little bit of the text that uh, Gilbert uh, Lange wrote I mean uh, I mean not not so specifically yeah. but yeah. maybe just talking about uh, a topic that he's interested in which is uh, the sort of uh, insurrectional disobedience and Uh, I, I suppose the, f the first thing that appears to me as well is, uh, is mm. uh, how there seems to be a difference in, in disobedience and insurrection, disobedience being still uh, very uh, circumscribed within the law and therefore uh, maybe legitimizing the, the, the part of the law that it's not contesting, mm -hmm. that sense. Mm -hmm. whereas insurrection is just a, a, a refusal of, of The, the entire system as such. I mean, I, I don't know if it makes sense as a no, no. It, it's what, what you're what you're saying is it's kind of like the distinction between uh, rebellion and revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, rebellion kind of just wants to change, uh, let's say, one leader for another, and a revolution wants to kind of uh, rupture the whole system and put a new system at its place. And and I guess one way of uh, seeing this difference is uh, is, is uh, looking at disobedience as a, a little rebellion uh, against uh, the particular kind of uh, normative organization, while an insurrection, one that wants to actually take out mm -hmm. uh, the whole... Um, uh, the whole system that mm -hmm. makes rebellions possible, I guess, and put something else at its place. Uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's a useful distinction that I think Gilbert brings about between insurrection and and disobedience, uh, and one that perhaps it's important for us to keep, because not everything that we disobey against is going to transform the mm -hmm. world. Uh, it, yeah, small little things that uh, might slowly change things but they might not at the same time yeah but to, to the point that i'm wondering if just like capitalism get reinforced by its sort of uh, a sort of non non um, structural challenges but like some sort of, of more uh, epiphanical uh, that's not a word but <laughs> punctual uh, uh, um, uh, challenges mm -hmm. itself it, it reinforces itself i'm wondering if the law also does not strengthen itself through Disobedience, of course, of course, of course, of course, it does. Um, I think that's the irony. I think um, uh, each time, for example, it's very well known that the in England, at least, and I don't know which kind of political uh, activist group in in France might be the equivalent. Uh, in England, for example, the uh, animal uh, activists, the animal rights activists, are the ones that actually constantly find loopholes to infract the law right uh, uh, and but those kind of acts of disobedience that infract the law but do not necessarily uh, punish them all right so little loop calls enable uh, later on uh, Uh, parliament to enforce new laws that they will make able uh, to catch kind of activists kind of better. 
So yeah, the the uh, one could say that acts of disobedience uh, do reinforce the law and make it stronger. Uh, one of the arguments here by uh, James Martel, for example, it's more to do with capitalism and our desire for fetishistic groups. We might say, yeah, I'm gonna go today and demonstrate, and I'm gonna go today and uh, I don't know throw a lot of bomb or whatever at a demonstration, uh, rupture the organization of every day but I still have a desire for a cup of coffee or a luxurious cup that are uh, which are little sort of actions that um, uh, strengthen capitalism in, in, in a sense and his argument it was like we have to enjoy uh, our fetishes because um, there's no other way mm. perhaps through the enjoyment of fetishisms that's the only way we could destroy capitalism um, uh, it's enjoyment becomes uh, enjoyment of our desires becomes an act of disobedience. Uh, that would be his his uh, argument instead mm -hmm. of kind of resisting uh, our desires. Um, he calls reality phantasmagoria. If yeah, I yeah, 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 uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He does. Yeah, 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 yeah. He does. He does. It's kind of a whole phantasmagoria of images and symbols and that surround us, and we have to kind of. Uh, we have to, if our desire is for them, which I don't think is a very difficult argument to kind of do away with, um, uh, then kind of embrace them and that kind of embracing, it's an act of resistance. Um, uh, yeah. So if you read this book, there's so many different, I guess, uh, understandings of disobedient acts or what can, how disobedient acts could make a better world um, uh, that I think con I, I think you cannot really say this is disobedience right uh, you cannot really say this is disobedience but you can say that we can see that through these different infractions of what could disobedience uh, mean you know, giving in to our desires or um, uh, resisting actually certain uh, normative uh, Practices are uh, loses kind of literary uh, engagement. I think with disobedience and naughtiness as a way of uh, being an act of rebellion, being an act of disobedience. Um, uh, uh, our ways of kind of thinking about disobedience beyond, I think, the law. But I would differentiate, I think, between what I was saying. I was, not everything is disobedience, all right? Some things could be an abuse of power. So when, um, uh, yeah, um, and it could be about obeying, I think, uh, obeying in a bigger way uh, certain kind of laws. Or um, uh, So I it would depend, I guess, on... If it, we're talking about politicians, I think, if um, somebody like George Bush refused to go to war with Iraq uh, or uh, Afghanistan, perhaps that would have been an act of disobedience. Mm -hmm. But the going, going and manipulating kind of international rule laws and to create the scenario that made it illegitimate, in inverted commas, it wasn't legitimate. Well, uh, that's an abuse of power. Um, 
and not a disobedient act. And that's why I would dis differentiate, I mm. think, the judge that refuses to give on her own ideological positions uh, licenses. Um, actually, she is selfish, but not disobedient. Mm -hmm. She's selfish and abusing her power. Her power. Maybe to disobey to the normal order of things and yeah. finishing with the cover of the book. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we see uh, we see a scarf. I mean, a, a sort of kefir that I am obliged myself to associate to the Palestinian struggle. Yeah. But could you could you tell us a bit about it because you you talk about it in the in the introduction. Yeah. Um, it was uh, as I said. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have uh, this as what well, not this. Um, a Palestinian scarf uh, at, at the front, but not because it was a Palestinian scarf, but because I did find uh, one kind of uh, thrown at a site, a sidewalk at uh, during the students' demonstrations in London in two thousand and nine. Now, right? Uh, I think um, I might be wrong. Eleven. Ten. Ten? Two thousand and ten, sorry. Um it was they were there and uh and it was such a it, it was after the students moved from Parliament Square to uh the bridge where they were kettled. Um and there was a lonely scarf there and uh, sort of a remnant, an object that remains um at the end of a rebellious or disobedience disobedient acts and I just wanted to have that as, uh, on the cover the pixel was not good and this is what the publishers uh, put in its place which is kind of proximate but I guess a scarf has become a symbol of disobedience especially not only uh, through Palestinian uh, but the kind of hipsters variations of this that we see um, lots of uh, young activists wearing either to cover their faces Uh, so they won't be recognized by the police or to sort of shelter them from cold or tear gas, uh, um, etc. So, yeah, it's sort of a scarf. They're objects that remain, I think, as witnesses of uh, disobedience. And this is kind of one of Well, I'm very glad to finish with a, a piece of clothes uh, <laughs> since uh, the third issue of the Phenomenalist magazine will be dedicated to clothing politics. So uh, this is great. Thank you so much, Elena. Thank you. And, uh, Thank you very I'll, much. I'll be certainly looking forward to read the, the two new uh, uh, researches you, you've been telling us about at the beginning of this conversation. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much, Leopold. <laughs>